athletes sustain concussions every year, with estimates of two to three million sports-related concussions occurring every year. Hello, and welcome to the Youth Sports Safety Update, produced by the Jacksonville Sports Medicine Program, or JSMP, in Jacksonville, Florida. JSMP is a nonprofit advocacy and prevention program partnered with local schools and sports programs to provide best practices for safety in sports. JSMP is dedicated to youth sports safety through awareness, advocacy, and prevention. Your host today is Jim Mackey, consultant to JSMP and a seasoned athletic trainer. Please subscribe to our podcast and check out our website at jaxsmp.com for more information about youth sports safety. Joining us today is a clinical neuropsychologist and the director of psychological services at Brooks Rehabilitation in Jacksonville, Florida. She also serves as a NFL or National Football League neuropsychology consultant. She is a leading authority in research and rehabilitation following concussion. Our guest holds leadership positions in several national organizations and is published in the area of pediatric rehabilitation. She is the principal investigator in a study investigating predictors of outcome and service utilization following mild traumatic brain injury and concussions. Please welcome from Brooks Rehabilitation, Dr. Sarah Leahy. Hello, great to be here. Thank you very much, Sarah. We appreciate your time today. So Sarah, tell us a little bit about your relationship with Brooks Rehab and the current focus of your work. Jim, I've been at Brooks now for nine years, and I'm a clinical neuropsychologist working in both the hospital setting and then also in our outpatient setting. In our outpatient setting, I'm the director of our concussion program, which is a multidisciplinary program that treats adults and children that have sustained a head injury or a concussion. I also serve as director of the psychology department, which has uh, about 12 psychologists and neuropsychologists that work in the hospital and outpatient settings throughout Jacksonville. So today we're going to primarily focus on youth and concussions, their severity and current solutions. What are your thoughts as a parent and as a, a neuropsychologist? How would you define concussions In order for a concussion to be diagnosed, there have to be several um, criteria that are met. So first of all, a concussion involves a force or a trauma that is great enough, and that can be applied to the head or to the body even, a force or a trauma that causes an alteration of the neurochemical process. So this causes a altered mental state. So you often hear people say, you know, I had my bell rung or I saw stars. So there's some change in consciousness. Um, It doesn't have to be a loss of consciousness, but there's some alteration there. And then from there, we see a series of symptoms um, that range from headache, dizziness, nausea. Sometimes there can be changes in thinking abilities like memory. Um, Sometimes there can be mood changes that occur after that, so more irritable or just feeling more worried. Also, you can see physical changes from that, um, like changes in sleep or appetite. Tell me a little bit about what you're seeing and uh, help us understand better what a concussion is. You're right, Jim. There really has been an increase in our um, focus on concussions. And I think that's a good thing overall, because I think as we've been better able to identify what exactly a concussion is, how it occurs, and what are the symptoms that may occur after it, 
we're really starting to understand how disruptive this um, this event may be to an individual's life. So larger uh, organizations such as the Center for Disease Control has put together a lot of information, increasing awareness, which now has been disseminated or available to other teachers, uh, athletic um, individuals involved in athletics, parents and children, so that we're now better able to identify, treat, and then manage a concussion when one has occurred. So how would you describe some of the healing challenges following a brain injury? It's a, it's a chemical disruption. It's not your grandfather or even your father's getting their bell rung anymore. It's uh, maybe a series of symptoms and, and signs that are, that are relevant, and it only takes one sign to be a concussion. Uh, we've learned that, and we've learned it's best to win and out, sit them out, let the brain rest, let it heal. Uh, what are some of the challenges that you see as a in your of of the healing in a in a very simple, compact way? Mm-hmm. So you're right. So the majority of individuals after a concussion will have a complete resolution of symptoms. So that means that any symptom that came about related to their concussion will improve go away so that the individual can you know, get back to their day-to-day functioning. There are a small subset or a small group of individuals that after a concussion will take longer than that typical kind of one to three week recovery period. Um, while it's less than 10% of individuals that sustain a concussion that may have a prolonged period of recovery, we know that there are certain factors that make those individuals more likely to have a longer recovery. So for instance, um, individual has a history of a learning difficulty of ADHD or um, pre-existing mood issues such as anxiety or depression. Those often are red flags that the recovery process might take a little bit longer than say that month period and may warrant additional support or um, interventions to help help along that recovery process. Okay. So it's not just a physical activity returning to that, but for example, with kids, it's academics. So uh, some, some coaches would say, well, they can do all these activities, but then they're still having learning problems. Do we kind of get those things both back together at the same time? Some kids might have those issues of ADHD and things like that, but uh, what, what's the importance of uh, the returning to the academic learning? as well as uh, just being able to do physical activity? That's a really great question. And I always like to point out that when we think about a student athlete, yes, they are an athlete, but they're a student first. And therefore, getting them back not only to return to play, but most importantly, to return to learn is important. So similar to, you know, a return to play protocol that I think most of us are familiar with where an individual is injured and they're removed from play. And then as their symptom improve, they're able to get back in increasingly um, physical activity over time before they're you know cleared and uh, returned to play once their symptoms have fully resolved. When we think about the analogous or kind of a similar application of that protocol to the school setting or the classroom environment, it's really no different. First, we want to remove any uh, cognitive or thinking activity, just like you would remove them from play. And then as those symptoms improve, hopefully over the next couple days, 
gradually increase more and more. Now, this not only involves the student, the parent, and their teachers, but also involves um, may involve the addition of uh, some academic guidance or um, school counselors that can come and help and, and may need to put in, in place a school plan such as a 504 plan um, or some informal accommodations to help the student gradually get back to increasing that cognitive or that thinking activity in the classroom. Okay. So what you're saying, basically, it's a team approach. It takes the neuropsychology, it takes the physicians, it takes the athletic trainer, it takes the guidance department, the teacher, the parent, uh, and obviously the athlete to help cooperate in all these areas. So we get a clear picture of how to guide the rehabilitation process. And uh, so we've learned a lot about concussion rehab uh, than we know back then. We were, we knew to put them back in a dark room and take everything away from them. But what are we learning new today? Because that's obviously not the most effective way to heal a concussion. That is very true. So we we refer to that as cocoon therapy, where the goal would be to um, you know, get, get the person in a dark room and completely remove any stimulation so that their brain can heal. Well, what we learn from that is it doesn't work. So what would happen is people would be in dark rooms and, uh, you know, in the dark and quiet and their symptoms are going to get better. And then when they finally came out into the light, um, it was pretty overwhelming, as you can imagine. And and the person was pretty deconditioned. So what we've learned now and what is currently recommended is about, you know, 24, 72 hours, so two to three days of some rest and then gradually increase activity and return to your day-to-day normal scheduled programming. So, you know, I'm not saying to, you know, go out and do it all that first day, but a gradual reintroduction. And that does include some light aerobic activity too. What we found is that uh, our brains need oxygen and in the recovering a recovery process, light aerobic activity increases the oxygenation to your brain, and that actually can have some um, positive outcome in the recovery process and that those individuals that had some aerobic activity during the course of their recovery had a shorter recovery time than those that did not. First, that's correct. And uh, go back to the medical side for just a minute. When any athletes in the state of Florida, there is a Florida concussion law that uh, they have to adhere to, and there are active guidelines for return to play through the Florida High School Activities Association. And this is a AT18 form that requires the athlete to be examined by a uh, physician, licensed physician, or a DO. And then they have to, um, when they are cleared to return to activity, it's a gradual, progressive, supervised uh, means of recovery uh, for them to uh, to go through before they're allowed to one go back fully in the classroom or go back fully on the athletic field. So as a mental health is a big, big topic today. And as a mental health professional, what are you seeing um, some of the factors that are involved in that affect these uh, athletes and students with uh, that have suffered concussion? Well, the research is certainly undeniable that the more we look into this, the more we're understanding the role of um, mental health in outcomes and recovery, so much so that um, several studies have shown that that really is one of the biggest predictors of um, developing what we call post-concussion syndrome 
or a, you know, a syndrome or a diagnosis that is often made when symptoms following a concussion have occurred uh, for greater than three months. So you know, what we're seeing is that from a neurological standpoint, all of the you know, signs and, and factors that we would think are disrupted following that jolt or that trauma to the brain, those are typically resolving within a week. And so the brain of an individual may look ex very similar to the brain of, a, of an uninjured individual at that point in time from a neurochemical standpoint, but yet these symptoms are continuing and oftentimes are worsening. When symptoms, especially the sleep, the, the irritability, even the headache and some of those physical symptoms, when those are increasing over time, that's not normal. And that's when we know that there's often something else going on. And oftentimes that something else is uh, underlying depression or just adjustment difficulties that are related to the injury itself. So if you take a student athlete, for instance, you know, they, I was just, I played soccer up, um, into college and, and you know, they, those girls, they were my life and they were my family. And if somebody took me away from them and I didn't have access to my friends support, my family and all of those things that really gave me self-worth and happiness, then, and I wasn't able to play then I, I would be naturally having a hard time with that and might uh, withdraw more or, um, you know, feel pretty bummed out. And so, uh, you know, those are some examples of really those indirect features or, you know, they're not neurological, they're not, you know, directly related to the injury, but they are necessary factors that we have to look at when we think about the overall recovery and well-being of an individual recovering from a concussion. Very helpful. So you want to maintain as normal a life as possible uh, through it all, even though a person is has symptoms and they're recovering, but maintain the socialization, the, the activity, uh, lessen their stress where possible, um, keep their schedule as normal as possible, uh, monitor their sleep, just help them journal uh, what, what is going on uh, in their life. Well, in, in football, for example, we see, especially with alignment, uh, there's concern about the effect of repetitive trauma, uh, which can, in, as opposed to one big hit, which may happen. But uh, what are we learning uh, in the research these days about these repetitive? Yeah, this is definitely a very controversial area right now, I think, because it could potentially have some pretty huge implications about how we play sports in general, not just football. Um, certainly soccer is another sport that has had a lot of attention in this area recently. And, and so, you know, what, what studies, some studies have shown is that it's not necessarily the diagnosis of concussion. So, you know, going back to some of the criteria for a con concussion to be diagnosed, there needs to be a behavioral observation of some change in brain function. So, you know, you might see some staggering or kind of that dazed and confused look. That's when a diagnosis of a concussion is made. However, these studies are showing that um, based on some hel new helmet technology and, and monitoring um, force uh, while individuals are playing, they're showing that these uh, what they're calling sub um, sub concussive blows. So they're not really reaching that full diagnostic 
classification of a concussion, but yet they're registering on the helmet technology as being pretty significant hits with significant force. What they're showing is that those cumulative effects may have equal, if not more, of an impact on some clinical neurochemistry um, and other biomarkers of brain function um, compared to those larger those larger hits. And so, you know, the tricky thing with this, with any research, when we're looking at the brain is a lot of our research is, um, you know, we look at brains after an individual has passed. Studies show that females are twice as likely as males to sustain a concussion, but there is controversy, controversy still surrounds the exact reasons why. Maybe it's microstructure of the brain, influence of hormones, coaching differences, uh, techniques that are taught or not taught. But what are some of the things you're seeing in the female athlete? You know, again, it, go it goes back to just our ability to conduct good research. And historically, studies of concussion have primarily include, included males. And um, whether they're uh, in athletes or the military or, you know, just the general population, uh, historically, the majority of those individuals in the samples within those studies have been predominantly male. Um, and only more recently have we started to look at, um, well, what about the females? We're different, right? So we may play different sports. We may also play some of the same sports, but how how do we differ in, in this? And, and we do differ. And you're absolutely right that um, even when comparing same sports as well as different sports, the, in general, women are sustaining or female athletes are sustaining more concussions, nearly twofold more as as men are. And that's even when controlling for different aspects such as, well, maybe women aren't reporting or are reporting them more. Maybe they're, you know, coming forth with symptoms more. And even when controlling for those factors, those numbers are still being found and and we don't really know why. Um, and again, there's a lot of controversy, as you were saying, is it uh, is it because of uh, their necks not being strong enough or being, you know, different strength? Is it because of um, different coaching practices? Is it um, because of something with our brains? Um, there's actually been some research uh, out recently looking at the role of hormones and um, potentially, you know, maybe there's some regulating or risk factors associated with different um, levels of estrogen that, um, that could be at play here. And, you know, we don't know, but uh, the point is the awareness is there. And um, this leads us to, you know, some great avenues for further investigating this. And, and then also thinking about the recovery process and what do we need to do differently for our student athletes that are female uh, versus male. Just a couple more questions for you, Sarah, today. You're doing great. And uh, we appreciate your time here. We've heard the term second impact syndrome. And what would what what is it? And what would you please uh, uh, emphasize the importance of never returning an athlete to activity before they're fully symptom free? Absolutely. I'm glad you bring this up because you're right. This is an incredibly crucial um, concept to understand. So second impact syndrome, it's when a second concussion occurs within hours, days or even weeks following a prior concussion. 
So the brain, after that initial concussion, it, it causes rapid brain swelling, um, which, as we know, as I stated, over time, it decreases. But when there's been a second impact within that vulnerable period following that initial impact, the results can be devastating, um, can lead to coma and even death in an individual. This is why when there has been even a question of a concussion, it's important to um, to investigate that and not return to play. Right. It's, it's just not worth the risk. And we've seen uh, evidence of that, even in Florida, of athletes that uh, sustained a second um, impact uh, and a third and a fourth and a fifth. And it took them years to just get back to some normalcy, but still, um, I'm sure they will suffer some many long-term effects of that. Uh, Sarah, you serve as a consultant for some NFL teams, the National Football League. Uh, they've uh, taken an increased role in player safety. Kind of, what does your role involve? As an independent neuropsychology consultant, I work with a team to help protect the safety of our players. So when an individual has had a concussion, then um, they have to go through a series of steps in order to safely return to play. And my job specifically is to just check out their cognitive functioning, make sure from a brain functioning standpoint, everything looks good, they're back to baseline, and um, we feel that they are able to safely return to contact as they are um, put through the return to play protocol. Very good. Well, thank you, Dr. Leahy. We appreciate your time today. You've been very insightful. And uh, if anybody wants more information, they can check out our show notes, which will give you the um, contact information for Brooks Rehabilitation, which does an excellent uh, work with traumatic brain injured uh, patients, uh, no matter whether they've been in athletics or motor vehicle accidents or skateboarding or, or whatever. So we hope you've enjoyed today's episode of the Youth Sports Safety Update. We're dedicated to youth sports safety through awareness, advocacy, and prevention. Please share what you have learned and implement to make sports and those who participate safer. One way is to make sure your school or sports team is safely prepared is to have a certified licensed athletic trainer present. Please subscribe to our podcast, write a review, and search our website at jaxsmp.com. The Youth Sports Safety Update is produced by the Jacksonville Sports Medicine Program. Your host and producer today is Jim Mackey. Please join us again soon. Stay safe and thank you very much.